Well, good morning, everyone. All right, that was okay. It was okay. Let me just give you guys a little permission here, okay? Just for a second. Um, on a regular basis, as we gather up together here, uh, we are declaring incredible things through the worship, right? I mean, there's some incredible truths that we are getting to express through our words, right? And then we're hearing from the supernatural inspired word of God. That's a big deal, right? So whenever you have the urge to clap a hand or to shout an amen, I want to give you permission to do that, okay? Because I think we ought to do that more often, honestly. You know, at the end of a great song, we tend to, one person starts clapping and then the rest of us are like, okay. And every now and then that goes well and sometimes it's awkward. Uh, but I just, wanna, I just wanna give you permission uh, to, to express in that way. Otherwise, I'm just gonna start singing my sermons and that won't go well for you. So, no, but really, uh, big things are happening regularly and let us learn to express the wonder and joy of that as we go, just in appropriate and awesome and fun ways. As many of you know, uh, because you've been part of the story for a while, uh, you may not know, I have the privilege alongside of my wife to be the parent of eight kids, and I, I love that. That is wild and crazy. And seven of the eight children are teenagers in my home simultaneously. So uh, just a few weeks ago, we do six birthdays in January and February, so that's why there's a great transition. About a few weeks ago, I had an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. <laughs> wow! And now, uh, in about two or three weeks, I will have a 19-year-old, two 17-year-olds, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, two 13-year-olds, and a 10-year-old. And it's wild and crazy. So you can imagine that in my house, it is never uneventful. It is never uneventful. It is always an event. Everything is an event because uh, there is in our house the reality of the turmoil and conflict and, and, and adjustments that need to be made when you live in an environment like that. And as God designed it, uh, when you enter the teen years and you are transitioning from childhood into young adulthood and adulthood, God designed it that we, the teenagers, need to begin to explore our independence. Otherwise, we live with the parents forever. <laughs> yeah. Next time you look at your teen and go, what are you doing? Just do the, do the math and go, if they weren't expressing their independence, <laughs> they're here forever. So... It's a natural, normal part of the deal. Now, sin and death came into the world and took that beautiful process of exploring independence and navigating the, the great uh, movement from needing your parents' approval to needing your peer approval and corrupted the entire thing, right? And so now it turns into hostility and attitudes and, and deceptions and all the other stuff that comes also with those beautiful teen years, right? And so in our home, because my teenagers are expressing their independence, working through what that means and doing it in some corruptible ways and some good ways, it is a hostile environment a lot, right? right? Uh, it, it feels like regularly that all we're doing is adjusting attitudes and, 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 and uh, coming against the talking back and, 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 and manners, 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 and you don't do that and stop fighting and, and putting fires out. And, and that's what it feels like sometimes in, in a home like mine. But when I stop, when I stop and I step out of the dailiness the craziness of the uneventful lack in my home. 
and I, and I step back from what's happening right here in front of me, you know what I realize? I have the most incredible kids. No, not legitimately. This is not, oh, dad's so cute. I mean legitimately I have the most incredible kids. While I'm here, most uh, gatherings, preaching on this stage, my 17-year-old daughter Hadley is with your kids on that stage with the same mic on I have, and she is sharing the gospel in an articulate and beautiful and expressive manner to your children, most gatherings. This morning, uh, last night, she was, she was drinking tea or something, I forget, and, and she's like, I've, I've got to teach in three of the gatherings tomorrow, and I said, well, I got all four. <laughs> so, actually, Carrie Ann, uh, our, our children's ministry director took a picture once for me a couple months ago out there in the lobby on the TV. I was preaching uh, here, and so I was on the TV out there, and Hadley was preaching on the stage in Kid City, and she got the picture where you can see the TV with me on it and Hadley in the picture, uh, my 17-year-old daughter and me preaching the gospel uh, in the context as we have been invited by God to do. It's an incredible thing to watch. That girl, she is, um, she is uh, tall and stunning, and blonde, now colored hair, because apparently when you're 17, that's what you do. She's stylish, she's, she's, she's fantastic, and guys, I dare you to try. <laughs> I dare you! Now you might think I'm saying that because you think I'm your obstacle. I'm not your obstacle, I'm, I'm fine. She is a brown belt going on black belt, and I have taught her what to do with you. <laughs> I dare you to try! Her bar is as high as bars go. And if you get past her bar, then you encounter me. So <laughs> that one's even worse. So she's amazing. But be, beyond just being a stunning and amazing young woman, uh, she is incredibly smart. She is incredibly driven. She has a deep compassion. She has this way about her that she can articulate things like somebody in their 40s shouldn't be able to do. She is where I probably was when I was in my mid-30s in her spiritual journey. Her gospel centrality is extraordinary. Her faith is her own. She's, she's applying to a bunch of schools and they range from Christian schools to party schools and I couldn't care less where she goes because wherever she goes, she will influence, she will not be influenced. I'm not just saying that like, oh yeah, I hope so. I guarantee you that because she's lived in a home where she's had to learn to wrestle with the spirit of God in big ways. My 19-year-old son, Burhanu, uh, he, uh, He's amazing. If, if you bump into him, he has this smile that is so captivating. And he smiles all the time, never stops. And so you, you see him and you are engaged. Uh, he is a fast learner, he is diligent, he works his tail off. Uh, he's had to work through being behind in our culture and he has worked his way back into the normal rhythms. He doesn't give up when it gets hard, though he wants to. He pushes through. He just got a job, and it's a hard job. He's bussing, you know, and when you, when you bus uh, uh, tables, that, that's a hard job, and he's exhausted at the end of it, and, and they keep giving him more and more shifts, and he keeps saying, Dad, you got to tell him I can't do any more shifts. It's exhausting. You know why they give him more shifts? Hardest worker in the place. Just amazing. He, he just never, he never stops. Uh, he, he does varsity, uh, uh, cross country, and soccer, and, and he came in way behind and now he's ahead. Man, what a, what a kid. Loves Jesus. Loves Jesus. My, um, my other 17-year-old daughter, Fitzsimti. Oh my gosh. Yeah, did you hear that? Some people just went, oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah, you do, because she's awesome. She has this deep compassion about her. She's unbelievable, and you can see it in her eyes. She cares much more about you than she does about herself. I guarantee it. If somebody is poor or sad or down, she looks at the world, she gets an allowance, she doesn't think about spending it on herself. I mean, sometimes, if it's candy. But most of the time, 
She just wants to spend it on poor people that need stuff. She constantly wants to share with people the love of God. Uh, she is gifted in evangelism and probably prophetic as well because she see th sees things in God's word that her current capacity shouldn't be able to see and yet she does. God gives her things. She's unbelievable. She's an amazing young woman and 17 going into the world to be a world changer. My 15 year old son Mahadi, oh man, he's something else incredible sense of humor, just will get you laughing in no time at all. Super competitive. I mean, super competitive. Everything is a competition in life. It always is and always will be. But you know what's amazing about this young man? As competitive as he is, and he is, it drives him. He's competitive right to the point where you think, here's where it derails, and then he's suddenly gracious. He doesn't actually care about winning if it's gonna hurt you. He just cares about winning if he can do it without hurting you. And so he does that a lot because he wins a lot, but then he also like loves you. And if he loses, it's okay. He's, he's thrilled for you. Have you ever met somebody like that? That's highly competitive, but yet totally gracious. It's hard to find that, that, that usually with competitive kids, you got to get, you know, Hey, winning isn't everything, but, but he already knows that he loves God. That kid for his birthday, we, we got him an old devotional reads it every single day. Not because we told him to just because he loves it. I mean, just an amazing young man in our family. He just brings life into the home constantly. Super cool kid, man. And my 14-year-old Cullen, you know, Cullen, that kid is more conscientious than any person I have ever met. I mean that legitimately. I don't think that there is a minute that he's thinking about himself, but he's thinking about how he is impacting the world around him, affecting it. His little 10-year-old brother who drives him insane half the time because they share a room. And you can imagine, you know, 14 going on 15 sharing with a 10-year-old, not the ideal scenario. And yes, some days he wants to kill him, and so do I. Um, but Colin is constantly navigating those waters and d demonstrate grac demonstrates graciousness toward his brother. He is super intelligent, super sharp. You know, teachers, he's funny. He's just like me. He hates doing anything, like a task, you know? And so this is what we get from the teachers a lot. Um, it'd be helpful if he actually handed his homework in, but when this kid is in my class, I don't have another kid I have ever met that can bring exactly what needs to be brought to the class at exactly the right time. When he opens his mouth, people go, how did you think that up and say it that way? He is articulate and sharp and wise, and he'll have to learn to actually write an essay once in a while. Who cares? I didn't, and I'm fine. <laughs> did I just say that? My wife says I can't tell him that. <laughs> it's really fine. Math doesn't matter. Um, anyways, moving on. <laughs> It's a joke, it's a joke. It really does matter. You do need to be able to add and subtract. Um, and so, the, uh, but, but Cullen just, just continues to demonstrate to me what it is to be a conscientious, gracious, humble young man. Uh, and, then, and then I jump into my 13-year-olds, my two 13-year-old daughters. Hope, my 13-year-old daughter, man, built like her mom. I mean, also, you know, shooting up now, getting tall, I'm getting her to brown belt as fast as I can because it's coming and it's coming fast. Um, but that kid, that kid is an absolute perfectionist. You give her something to do, I can guarantee you a couple things. It will get done in a timely manner and it will done 100%. That, that's, that's what she does. She does things just with such diligence and perfection. She wrestles with God. I love watching her wrestle with God. She wrestles with God. She wrestles with truth. It doesn't just pop and she's like, eh. She, she wrestles with it. Flexibility isn't her thing. That's Cullen's thing and Hadley's thing and Fitzy's thing. It's not her thing. Her thing is to wrestle through truth and once she embraces it, I dare you to try to pull it from her. She lives in it. 
she walks in it, and she allows it to inform her. Do you know how few adults I know that do that? But she does. Though she is brilliant, and she's ahead of everyone on everything because she's a perfectionist, she has a beautiful humility about her. And you know who she cares about? The people around her. And when she doesn't care about them, she feels deeply that she doesn't care about them. And then she regroups herself. An amazing young child. My other 13-year-old daughter, Rahel, she has a curiosity about her that you, that, that you will rarely find. She never stops questioning everything. She wants to know about everything in life. She wants to extract. She is such a vibrant young lady, just constantly exploring, exploring, exploring. She can read you like a book. She can read me like a book. She can read everybody like a book. She's going to be CIA top level. You are going to be safe for the rest of your life because she's going to catch everybody. She's amazing. She brings life and craziness to this scenario. She's constantly testing things and pushing buttons to see what works and doesn't, and just love to watch her unfold the world around her in her home. And then my 10-year-old, my 10-year-old. <laughs> he has an amazing sense of humor. He, he really does. I mean, a sense of humor a 10-year-old shouldn't have. Uh, he seems to nail it every single time. Bright as can be, but um, has learned from all these brothers and sisters that you don't really actually have to be diligent if you're bright. You just kind of ride that wave, and he'll learn fast enough. And so in that, you know, he is my little 10-year-old that, that brings so much life to the table because he's, he's constantly 100% passionate about everything, right? If he's mad, it's 100% passion. And if he's happy, it's 100% happy. But you know what's cool about him? Despite this passionate swing of realities, he cruises through life and it's always okay. He has that, in, that, that, that I have in me that he just somehow looks at life and no matter what the circumstances try to tell him, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Do you know what a gift that is? Because circumstances tell us constantly how crazy stuff is. And my son, I mean, even, even in some of our therapeutic spaces that we live in and we're hanging with the therapists, they're like, oh, he's fine. He has, he, has, he has no concerns in the world. He loves the house. He loves the conflict. He loves the fun. He loves everything. That's just cold. He's so affectionate. He snuggles up, and we're not totally sure if it's manipulative yet or if it's uh, authentic, but I'm going to run with authentic. That, and, and you know what? If it's manipulative, I'll take it. Because he comes, and he hugs, and he jumps on you. And, he, and, and Fitzsimti, who's you know, the, the one that loves kids and is totally compassionate, she kisses him all the time, and he pretends to hate it, but he actually loves it. And so when he does share about what he loves about Fitzsimti, he says, I love that she kisses me all the time. It's just such an amazing space. All my kids love others. They love God. And they live in a home with seven other siblings that are changing and maturing. Do you know what that would produce if you lived in that home? Some conflict some attitude adjustment, some need for stuff. Do you know any adult that doesn't need an attitude adjustment once in a while? Or doesn't need some regrouping on getting your head on straight and caring about others instead of yourself? Doesn't need some manners, right? All of us do. And when I take a step back and I stop, I realize I live far too much in the world of dailiness where it's go, 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 and I start getting a skewed view of who these amazing people are. I would tell you unapologetically, if you have a kid that is the same age as one of mine and they follow my kid and live like my kid, your kid's going to be fine. You could follow my kids. That's how amazing they are. And it's not because we've done amazing things. It's because they're amazing and God has been good to them. They are normal kids, just like all of ours. And they happen to have some amazing friends too. If you're a friend to one of my kids, thank you because you're amazing too. Really, all my kids' friends are amazing. This community is amazing. Do you see what happens when you stop? 
We live in a world where nothing ever stops. That's the truth. We moved out of the, the, the long ages back into the industrial revolution and we all thought that our entire purpose in life was to produce stuff and then to consume it. And if you don't produce and consume, you're not valuable to the society. So make sure you produce a bunch and the more you produce, the more awesome you are. And so we got into this mode where it was go, 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 go. Produce, 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 produce. Consume, 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 consume. And we got our culture. And then you know what hit us right after the industrial revolution? The information age. Do you know that you absorb more information on an hour by hour basis than people in the early 1800s did in a lifetime? Yikes! You know why you do and why I do? Because we never stop anymore to think. We just absorb information. And you go, what do you mean? Traffic lights. What do you do when you stop at a traffic light? Unless you're like of high conviction. You know what you do? Instagram. Facebook, I wonder what's going on in the world. Maybe since the last traffic light, some great thing has happened in one of my friends' lives that I can't do without, right? And so we're on that little thing and we know we're not allowed to drive with it. So, so the light turns green and you're like, oh, red light, please, red light, yes. That's what we do. You go to the restaurant and you sit down, phones on the table, ding. Oh, it's so good to be with you today. Let's see what our other friends are doing, right? We're constantly absorbing. Now all of our social media spaces are just one string of videos that are totally useless and you don't need, but they, hey, now you know how to squeeze a lemon differently or now you know how to, like, you're just like, do I really need to know this? But oh yeah, if you don't and everybody else does, then that's unfortunate for you. And so we live. Do you know what we've lost? We've lost the ability to stop and think. So we're losing ideas quickly. We don't have ideas anymore. We just absorb information. Everything we think up is somebody else's stuff that's been thrown somewhere that we're thinking up. Do you know when you sit at a traffic light and, and, and you don't have a device with you or you don't have information streaming in and you just sit there for like a minute and a half and there's nothing? Hmm. And you sit. You know what pops up after a while? An idea. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, oh, I thought something up that was my own that somebody didn't hand to me. We are losing that skill. Because it's go, 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 go. Never stop, never stop, never stop. And then our life, being a life of production and a life of information, it rolls that way. And so we start uh, affecting that everywhere we go. So our relationships are the here and now. They're in the dailiness. We don't step back. We don't look. We don't get a big picture. So we get skewed in what we understand the people around us to be. Our life is go, go, go. So we don't ever stop and think about what is going on around us. And our churches have absorbed that we are as guilty as anyone. Go, 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 never stop. Go, 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 never stop. And so we move through week by week, information by information. We've got this entire thing to get through before we die. And it's not, we're not gonna make it to the book of Revelation if we don't move. And so there is this kind of like, we gotta go. And then this week, and so we move through it like this, right? That's our culture, it's our church. Uh, we have Easter, then right after Easter, it's summer. Then right after summer, we head into the fall, then right after the fall, it's Thanksgiving, then right after Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, then right after Christmas, it's January with vision, then right after January, it's Easter, and we just go, and we go, and we go, and we move, and we move, and we move, and we never stop. This is not the way of God. This is not the way of God. It is our way, and it is going to kill us. It is killing us. The way of God is very different. Because God's way is the way our souls need to exist. Otherwise, we die. When God encountered humanity the first round, 
you know, in the garden after the garden incident and then the craziness with the flood and then the Tower of Babel, which expressed our corruptibility and what sin is doing in us, God then said, okay, it's time to start expressing myself to you. So he pulled a people group out for himself, the Jewish people, and he gave them the law. The law was the way, the way to live, the way of life. And in the law, he summarized the law into 10 key points that we need to remember, right? And anything you would expect is on there. Don't kill other people. Seems important, doesn't it? Once you kill them, they can't come back. So that's really important. Don't take somebody else's spouse. That's not okay, right? Don't steal stuff from people. If it's theirs, ask them to borrow, but don't steal it, right? Don't worship idols when you know God. I mean, these are big things. Here's one for you. Make sure you rest at least once a week for an entire day. Hmm, murder, rest for an entire day. Yeah, doesn't seem categorized the same, does it? But this is the way of God. He says, if you don't rest on a regular basis and you stop thinking straight, you're gonna wanna kill people. (laughs) No, legitimately. Starting with your kids, probably, right? And so you don't rest, everything else starts going badly wrong. And then God, God continued this track. He really did. He moved from there into Deuteronomy, which is uh, the, the last of the five first books of the Bible, part of the Torah, the law. And there he was unpacking the applications of the reality of this way of life. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen to what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, he's talking to his people and he, and he says this. Listen, guys, as you go through life, uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Trouble is it doesn't stay on our hearts. You know what God did next? He knew that. So he goes, I need these things on your heart. You need to remember them constantly. So here's how that's going to roll, okay? Human beings, it's not just going to stick to your heart. First try. So do this. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's literally like this. You stick them between the eyes, you put them on the hand, you stick them on the gate. Why? Because as you walk, it will force you to stop and to go, oh yeah, you walk through the gate. Oh, read. Oh. Yes, God is good. Get to the door. Oh, there it is. There it is again. Walk through the door. You look in the mirror. Oh, it's right between my eyes. There it is. You look down at your hands to wash some dishes or to pick up. Oh, there there it is again. Wherever you look, whatever you see, you are forced to stop. You are forced to remember. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, the people are about to cross over into the promised land. This is the big moment, right? The big moment. And and listen to what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 27, God sets a pace here that he's going to do throughout the people's history in Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 27, now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day that you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of the law. When you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. See, here's what he says. When you get across the river and you get everything I'm about to give you, first thing you do is you stop. You collect a bunch of rocks 
You put plaster on them and then you write the law all over them. You see, it forces a stop. It forces a remembering. It forces us. Sabbath is a rhythm of God. Altars, building altars is a rhythm of God. Then you had the festivals and feasts that God would set up as a remembrance, a stopping, a celebrating. And then Jesus, when he was with his guys the last night, he said, look, from now on, as often as you gather together to eat and to be together, use the meal to remember me. And he sets up the beautiful sacrament of communion that we celebrate in church and we celebrate together in our communities. God's rhythm was always stop, remember, stop, remember. So here's what we're going to do today. We're jumping back into the book of Romans. You excited? Mm, me too. Romans 3, 1 through 7 is mind-blowing. I can't wait to unpack it for you. I want to do it right now. I'm ready. I can do it, but I'm not going to. Because we are going to stop here. And we are going to rest before we jump back into Romans and explore the intricacies of the gospel. We're going to stop here and we're going to remember some things. You know that in the last two months, God has done some incredible things here through the, the preaching of the word and the experiences we've had over Christmas. You, you hardly remember what they were. So we're going to stop. And the first thing we need to do is breathe. You all are holding your breath. I can tell. Can breathe. No, no, like I'm legitimately serious. Breathe deeply. If you don't, I'm going to do a yoga pose right here. It's going to get weird. Breathe, breathe. You don't do that often enough, do you? Okay, now just rest for a second. We're just going to stop here. So let's remember, okay? Let me remind you in case you've forgotten, because I'd forgotten, and I realized how much God had done in the last two months that I was just moving past. It was beautiful in the moment, and I was moving past it, and I want to move past it. Here it is. Ready? You remember Christmas? Remember what we traveled through over this Christmas? We did the Advent journey, which is these four beautiful words that church history has extracted to say this is the gift of Christmas. Hope, joy, peace, love. Do you remember hope? What we journeyed through when we did hope? It was Carrie Water's story. Remember that? She found her hope, as many of us do, in a life that the Western culture paints for us. Find love, find security, get some kids, not too many, white picket fence, little dog, maybe a cat, and then, and then live, retire, and have enough. There, there it is. And she was pursuing those dreams. Have a significant career. That's nice too. And as those were lost to her, she discovered Christ. And Christ became a hope for her so deep that though she has yet not realized many of the dreams she has had, that she does not feel hopeless because Christ is enough. And in fact, now has more hope than she ever dreamed she would have. Do you remember the scripture we dealt with? Do you remember? We looked at Malachi, the very last prophet in the Old Testament, and the very last paragraph in the Old Testament where God said, get ready, get ready. The sun is about to rise and he's going to come. And everybody, if you were there, you would have been like, oh, all the promises of God are about to happen. You remember what happened next? 400 years of silence from God. Not a peep, not a prophet. In 400 years, wouldn't you be discouraged? I would be. Wouldn't you have lost hope? I would have. Luke chapter one. Do you remember when Zechariah declared and the angel declared to Zechariah who was coming? He used the same language that was out of Malachi. And he basically said, it's now. This isn't like a promise of something to come. It's happening now. Jesus was the restor restoration of hope to the people. Do you remember the, the next week? Peace. You remember that one? Man, I, I actually it was joy next. It was joy. See, see, we just need to remember Joy was awesome because we did a Joel and Tanique story uh, where they came out of China 
Um, no, wait. Yes, correct. They came out of China. See, this is why we have to remember. They came out of China, and, and they had a dream uh, to, to uh, share the gospel with the people of China, and their son got sick, so they had to leave. So they couldn't figure out how God would give them a dream for the people of China and then pull them from China until they discovered that actually right here uh, in our backyard, there are people that need them from China. And so their dreams have expanded. Do you remember the passage we dealt with? Mary, who became pregnant as a teenage girl without being married. That was a disaster uh, in their cultural context. And then spent the next couple of years running from evil people who were trying to kill her child. I mean, that, that's not good. But every time she'd express herself, she'd express joy because she allowed the revealed truth to transcend and to trump the observable circumstances. Do you remember that? And that is an invitation we all have to trust God's revealed truth over the observable circumstances and trust him to make beautiful things we can't even currently understand. Do you remember peace? This was one of my favorites. We dealt with the word shalom. We think the word shalom means peace, but it actually means all things as they should be. All things as they should be. Do you remember where we saw shalom in the scripture? Genesis chapter one and two, right? Shalom, everything as it should be. Remember how God ends the creation story? Mm, it is very good. It is shalom. And then Genesis chapter three, remember what we did? We believed the crazy enemy of God and we ate the fruit. And you know what happened to shalom? Everything as it should be? Bye-bye. We go from Genesis chapter three to Revelation chapter 20 and it's an entire unpacking of what life looks like in a place absent of shalom. How we wrestle with that, how we wrestle with ourselves, how we wrestle with the world. And the whole time God's saying, despite the fact that you live in an environment that is absent of shalom, it is not as it should be, I am going to intervene to make things right. When Jesus comes, he gives us a taste of shalom even on this planet, but Revelation chapter 20, the full implications of the absence of shalom arrives and it is the destruction of all things evil, including us if we are evil, which we are because we are, we are, we are by nature children of wrath, right? And that's where the Bible ends, Revelation 20 with the destruction of, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It ends in Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible. And they are identical to the first two chapters of the Bible except better. They are a perfect description of Shalom. Do you know why we have shalom at the end of the story, just like we did at the beginning? Because Jesus came. Otherwise, Revelation 20 is our end. Do you remember that? Isn't that amazing? You should walk around every day going, I get to end my story with shalom because Jesus came. That's who he is. That's incredible. <laughs> then, mm, wait for it now. Thank you. Somebody's listening. Then we entered Christmas Eve and we watched a story of Nancy and Jim, a man that had died just a two months before Christmas. And you're like, what? On Christmas Eve, you play that story? Yes, absolutely. You know why? Because Jim discovered that life is not life on this planet. Life is discovering that God loves you and you are loved. And we took those little ornaments home or if you were in the 11 p.m., you made an ornament for yourself because we ran out. Sorry about that. Um, and... Uh, and we, we have those ornaments hanging now de declaring to us that we are loved because your human soul like mine needs nothing more than to know that God loves you. And when you really know that, that is enough. And that's what we wrestle with, to know that. 
Then we came out of that into the middle week. We call it the middle week around here. It's the week between Christmas and New Year's. Why do they have that week there? I have no idea. It is such a waste of a weekend, isn't it? Because everybody's resting from Christmas and preparing for New Year's, two giant holidays, and you gotta come to church in the middle week. And then as, as teaching team, you're like, what do you do with the middle week? You come out of the great Christmas season and then you're gonna launch into the great New Year's and you're like, middle week. And then God gave it to us. He said, listen, considering who I am and what they've discovered, tell them they need to hang tight and stay close to me. Teach them how to be intimate with me. So the three communicators that are up here regularly, Brady and myself and Joel, we each took our own shot at what does it, look, what does it mean to be intimate with God? I talked about memorizing scripture to have the language of God in your heart so he can speak to you. Joel and Brady talked about when you are in sin, don't run from God, but run to God because he is grace and he is life. And we learned some intimacy stuff. And then we came out of that into Vision Weekend where we were, were reminded of our past as a church where we, were, we had a childlike wonder, an organic faith. We just kind of went out there and served the world. And then we matured and became effective and efficient. And we started doing things in a, on a large scale. And now it doesn't feel childlike and wonderful anymore. And then we said, listen, it's not one or the other. Let's see what happens when you take the blue Play-Doh and the red Play-Doh maturity and efficiency and effectiveness, childlike wonder and daring, and you squash them together and you blend them so you can't pull them apart. What does a church look like like that? So we're going to go dare to do that. And then right after that, we had uh, Love 146 come in here with Rob. Remember this? Love 146 is one of our global partners. We love them to death because they're like some of our global partners. They're one that strategically plants the gospel in very hard places. So they go into places where there's human trafficking. And a lot of times these places are not open to any kind of church or gospel stuff. So Love 146 takes their outward appearance, the website and all that, and they make that inclusive and they make that about human trafficking because everybody wants to see that go away. And they, and they, hide the gospel on the website so that when they're in these places that would never allow them in if they knew that they were blatantly gospel-centric, when they're in their homes with the children and girls they rescue from human trafficking, what are they sharing with them every day? The gospel, because they can in those homes. Love that. Rob sees some of the most hopeless and horrid things on planet Earth. And you know what he dared us to do? If you're gonna go out into the darkness and change the world, you gotta have a defiant hope. Remember how he told us? that the best weapon against the enemy is to hope when it's hopeless. Have a defiant hope, defy hopelessness. One of the lines he used was this, what right do we have to be afraid when we know Jesus? Oh man, I've been hanging on to that one for weeks. And then Phil got up here last weekend and he got in front of all of us and he said, guys, if we're gonna do this, you know we're gonna disagree, right? because we're going to be hanging together real tight and we're going to come up with opinions and preferences and they're going to be different. Then you're going to fight about them and then you're going to leave the church over them like people do. But we don't do that, do we? So he gave us language to fight well. He said they are matters of eternity and those, if you don't agree on those, you show respect to each other, you love each other, but realize you're not on the same team. You, 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 you don't know Jesus and so then share the gospel with each other or with the person that has a different opinion in terms of matters of eternity. Then he talked about matters of conviction. Remember this? They're important. You've studied them or you've borrowed them from someone trustworthy. They're a big deal and you should hold to them. But when you wrestle with someone that has a different conviction than you do, it's not a matter of eternity. 
make sure after you wrestle like Mahadi does so well. Be competitive, be crazy, fight hard, and then afterwards give hugs, kiss and make up, right? Because it's a conviction. It's not a matter of eternity. Don't, don't separate over those things because we need to be like-minded, having the same love and purpose. And if it's a preference, you don't even get to fight about those. You don't even wrestle with those. You just learn from each other. Oh, you like that? Why? I, I think you should wear this versus that. And I hear you. That's interesting, but I just disagree. Oh, that's okay. We learn from each other, given that language. So <clears throat> that's where we've traveled the last, the last couple of weeks. Isn't that awesome? You remember it now? I, I'm, I'm trusting that God even brought to your mind some things that struck you during that time that I didn't even mention here. Do you want to know what God showed me over the last two months through all of that? This may or may not be helpful to you. It doesn't really matter because it's helpful to me. And right now, this is about me. So just <laughs> deal with that, okay? Because I too am resting here with you. Over Christmas, God shouted at us, this is who I am and this is what I've done. That's beautiful, isn't it? We need to remember that all the time. Then, in the in-between middle week, that's usually just kind of a, what do you do with this? God knew exactly what to do with it. There's the scene in Madagascar, the second movie. You know, there's three Madagascar movies. If you're going, what are those? Don't worry, you'll mature at some point. Um, the Madagascar movies, right? There's this old lady that's in the first one and the second one, and she's this really old lady that walks to the thing, and she has this purse, but every time the lion comes near her, she like pulverizes the lion with her purse, like, and the lion runs off scared, and so it's so fun to watch. So this car breaks down in the middle of the African uh, um, jungle. It's not really a jungle, is it? Uh, there's a different word, but it's in Afrikaans, and I don't know the English version of it, so I'm going to stick with jungle. Um, and, and, and there's this um, bush, bush, that was it, in the African bush, and so... There's the old lady, and then there's the guide with the shotgun, right? So the guide with the shotgun wants to go one way, and the old lady wants to go another way, but they just watch the old lady pulverize a lion with her purse, right? And so who do you think everybody follows? The old lady with the purse. They're like, the guy with the shotgun, I'm not going with him, he seems scared, and what's the shotgun going to do after all? But she's got a purse. <laughs> after Christmas, we were reminded that Jesus conquered sin and death. Don't you want to hang close to him? You want to do this life? Hang real close to Jesus. He has a purse like nothing you've ever seen. <laughs> and when you hang with him, there is no wildness out there that is going to undo you. So what an appropriate space to live than to say, we need to be intimate with our God. Make sure 2017 is about building greater intimacy with Jesus. And then out of that, God said, now you're ready to listen. Since you're going to be out there intimate with me, Let's go and invade the darkness, but let's dare do it with a childlike daring and a mature efficiency and effectiveness. Then, then, as you do that, and it gets hard, because it will, because darkness is darkness, and it bites, have a defiant hope. Have a defiant hope, and do not be afraid, because the guy with a purse is leading you. In my head picture. <laughs> And then he said, fight well among yourselves so that you don't break unity, but you enhance unity as you wrestle with truth. Matters of eternity, conviction, and matters of preference. And now he's going to take us back into the book of Romans, chapter 3, 
and start showing us the intricacies and simplicities of the gospel so that we know what we're carrying into the world to bring life with and so that we can go and be defiantly full of hope and daring, childlike and efficient and effective with Jesus fixed in our minds and on our, on our hearts and intimate and close to him. Gosh, we could have missed all of that. But we didn't. So can I leave you with this? This week, and honestly, let's develop this habit together, shall we? Um, let's learn to come up for air on a regular basis and just reflect. Uh, my kids, when they turn 10, we had this deal before we had eight of them, that it, when you turn 10, you'll go on a little trip with mom or dad. If you're a girl, you go with mom. If you're a boy, you go with dad. And then we got eight kids and we're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be like our entire college education. Um, but we do these little trips, right? And so my last kid just turned 10 of the eight. And so he gets his trip and I'm super excited. We're gonna go on this little trip uh, down to the Keys and we're gonna go snorkeling for two days because his brother went and that was awesome. Now he wants to do the same thing. And I'm super excited because I love snorkeling. When you go snorkeling, so we got these new masks, you know, that have this little thing and, and you go down and snorkeling is super fun except you can't breathe underwater. And so you, you stay on top and then you dive down and you go see some stuff and then you pop back up to catch some air and then you dive down. And when you're underwater, it's just one wonderful thing after the next when you snorkel. It's just one wonderful thing after the next. You can hardly keep up. And the person with you, it's like this. And they're like, like that. And then it's not until you come up to the surface that you can kind of go, did you see the shark that was behind you? <laughs> no, and thankfully not, right? So you got, you got to come up to the surface to, to pull off the mask and kind of share the experience. And that's when it gets fun. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing to share it, right? And then you, you put the mask back on and you dive back down. And then when you're done snorkeling on one reef and the sailboat takes you to the next reef, you get on the sailboat, you get a towel around, you take the mask off. And what do you do on the entire sail? You talk about the amazing things you saw underwater. So you go, oh my gosh, and then I saw that. What did you see? Oh, I saw this. I went around this corner. Then you get to the next space and you dive back down again. This is how we should live. But we don't. We dive and dive and dive and snorkel and snorkel. But we're always underwater. And we come up with such, for such a quick breath. Because, because yes, is it fascinating what's under the water? I mean, my goodness, I want to preach this every day all the time. I want to learn. It's amazing. I can't wait for Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. But if we never come up for air, take our masks off, sit on the boat together and go, so what, is, what has God been showing you these last couple of weeks, man? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And we are reminded. Then we will never be transformed but for the moment. But for the moment. Guys, I need you to work with me on this because I'm bad at this here. You know, I'm just excited about what's coming next because there's so much waiting for us. But, but work with me, teach me, push me as one of the communicators here to say, hey, on occasion, would you, would you tell us to take a deep breath and rest in what God has done? Otherwise, we will quickly forget. So this week, come up, would you, from diving. Go sit on a sailboat somewhere. I mean, you know, hypothetically. Take the mask off. And glory in the wonder of all that God has shown you over the last two months. Think and reflect on the things you've learned and let them settle in your heart. And then together, we will be transformed by the power of the Spirit of God in our rest, in our rest. Let's pray. God, you're so good, so good to us, so good to remind us 
in the patterns you set in scripture to stop, to cease, and to remember. Whether through Sabbath rhythms or through the festivals and feasts or through altars built or through communion, to stop, to rest, to be still. God, it's amazing to me just in ceasing in my home how much my vision of my children changes and shows me accurately who they really are instead of in the insanity I sometimes forget. I can't even imagine if I stop and think of what you've taught me over the last few weeks on a regular basis, how much that will change my view of you and keep me rightly fixed on you. Teach us, God, in our fast-paced, information-driven insanity to leave the phone in the cup holder at the traffic light, to think to have ideas, to wonder about things again, to stop for long enough to not just see one week at a time that we learn here, but to see the connections between weeks that we don't even realize until after we've traveled through them. Teach us. We need you because we do it badly. Help us to slow down enough to see clear. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.